Father, I pray once again that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. David Larson writes in one of his books, he says, the whole of the Christian life is an adventure in stewardship. The whole of the Christian life is an adventure in stewardship. I hadn't really thought of it that way until I read that, but I think he's right. Because what it means to follow Jesus is not so much to make a decision, as important as that can be. It's not so much to follow some rules, as helpful as that can be. At the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be, live a life of stewardship to God. Giving all that we are to Him. That starts in the Garden of Eden. After God creates the world, He looks at these two humans and says, Now I've created all of this. Now be my stewards. And that has not changed from that time to this. I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible talks so much about things related to, at least in our minds, stewardship. Why the Bible talks has so much to say about our possessions and our money, about our time and our talents. Because it keeps bringing us back to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And something, something was pointed out to me not too long ago about the parables of Jesus. One of the interesting dynamics about the parables is that while they are about a wide variety of things, many of the parables that are about other things, Jesus uses money and possessions to make his point in the parable. And I've been pondering that, and the more I think about it, the more I realize that that's not a coincidence. There is something significant that Jesus understands about how we think about our lives, how we think about our world, how we think about discipleship, and all the facets of it that are understood best in the context of what we do with what we have. There is something about money, and possessions that reveals the nature of Jesus and the nature of the kingdom of Jesus. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I want to look at some of these parables. And today we start with the ones that Emily just read for us. It's an interesting thing when you read this, these short little, you'd almost call them parabolettes, the, these ones we read today. They're really short, small things. There's very little information given to us. But what we do know is that in the first one, this guy is plowing a field. His, his probably, his plow hits something that he thinks is a rock because I assume that he probably hits rocks fairly frequently out there in his field. 
and more than likely he is someone who doesn't own, he does, obviously doesn't own this field, so he's renting or somehow he's working this field, and he comes across this, and I'm sure he's exasperated to think, oh great, another rock, and he reaches down and looks at what he hit and realizes this is not a rock. This is something very different. And he covers it back up, goes home, sells everything he has, comes back, buys the field, and digs up, redigs the treasure again, and takes it home with him. In the second parable, a man is looking for fine pearls. And how, wherever he's doing that, however he's doing that, one day he comes across a pearl that is so fine and so beautiful and so valuable that he goes home, sells everything he has, and comes back and buys that pearl. One of the things that strikes me about both of these stories, and it's mentioned specifically in the first story, but it's implied in the second story, is that both people are filled with joy when they find these valuable things. It says that when the man found the treasure buried in the field, he was filled with joy. And you can imagine the joy that the man feels who finds the pearl too, what he's been looking for. The joy of finding something so valuable. I mean, I have to tell you, he, he, guy, I mean, I, have, I would suspect that the man has a hard time containing himself. I mean, I get excited seeing a quarter on the sidewalk. So I expect that this great treasure would probably elicit a whole lot more joy. But here's the fascinating thing about it. It's not just joy at finding the treasure. There is joy in selling everything he has to get the treasure. And that's a very different thing. It's one thing to say, wow, this is such, such a great treasure. I'm excited to find it. It's something else to be so excited to find it that you sell everything you have to get it. That's a little different than the mindset about joy that we tend to have. I suspect most of the time when we think of joy, we think about something we get. And to think that we would be so filled with joy that we would sell everything we have to gain something is almost more foreign to our minds than we can grasp. Because for us, joy comes in accumulating. Joy comes in getting. Joy comes not in giving, not in getting rid of, not in sharing, though there is some joy to that, but the, the joy that we tend to think, honestly, is probably a little more designed to self than it is to God, which I think is Jesus' point. Why, what, would, what would possibly possess either one of these men to sell everything they have. I mean, talk about taking a risk. They're going to sell everything they have to go get this treasure. Something in their minds says it's no risk. It's no sacrifice. Because what I've found is so much more valuable than anything I have. It's not really a fair trade at all. Something about the value of the treasure 
speaks to them. They can see it. They realize it. There is something about the gospel and the kingdom that you and I are continually confronted with. Is a rec- do we have a recognition of how valuable Jesus and the kingdom really is? I mean, the only thing that would possess these guys to do what they do is because they believe that treasure is more valuable than anything they've ever seen. And the only thing that would cause us to believe that surrendering everything we have to God is worth it is because we believe Jesus and the kingdom is more valuable than anything else in all the world. And the call of discipleship is to that very realization. That's why being a follower of Jesus is not just about praying a prayer someday in our lives. That's why follow, being a disciple of Jesus is not just about following some rules. Being a follower of Jesus is about being so enamored with the treasure that Jesus is and the treasure and value that the kingdom is that all we want to do is go all in with Jesus. That's the call of the gospel. And what I love about this story is that the joy in this story is is not just for someday. The parable is not the guy found a treasure and thought to himself, well, you know, someday after I die, I'll be able to experience this treasure. No, it's right now. Now, granted, we're never going to experience the fullness of of joy of the kingdom and the fullness of who Jesus is and what the kingdom is until the day when Jesus ushers in the kingdom in all of his glory. But we are promised again and again that the joy of the Lord can be experienced even now. We can know the joy of of being all in with Jesus right now. Jesus says, I come to give give you life, to give you abundant life. And I don't think he means eternally only. I think he means the present too. That we can know the joy of being free from all of the stuff that binds us and enslaves us, including our possessions and our money and whatever else we have. We can know the joy of Christ and his kingdom even now. We can discover it. Now, again, the guys who find this, they don't don't make the treasure valuable. It just is. It's sort of like, you know, discovering electricity or, or discovering gravity. Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity. It was, he just realized when the light went on, he went, oh, gravity. And Ben Franklin didn't invent electricity. He just realized what was happening. And it wouldn't surprise me if there weren't people in other places of the world who had made those same discoveries at similar times. People who said, oh, I see what has always been here. And that's what happens with both of these men. The pearl is not valuable because it's found. What happens is the man experiences joy because he's found it. And the treasure is not valuable because it's been discovered. 
The man has joy because he discovers it. And the difference is having a spirit of openness to the kingdom and to Jesus. Think back to the story of the, of the wise man. We celebrated Epiphany on the 6th of January this week. And that day is really one that often uh, turns our attention toward the wise men and the, the coming of Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. And I've always found it fascinating, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that when these pagan astrologers arrive in Jerusalem and they say, we've seen the star of the king, where is he? When they find out where he is, they can't, they can't contain themselves to get there quick enough. And the religious leaders who've known it all along go back to their temple without an interest at all. What's the difference? There's a want to. There's a want to about Jesus, about God, about the kingdom. It's what separates them. And being a follower of Jesus means that we have this want to for him, not just once, this is not just a word for people who have not yet experienced Jesus. This is what our lives are. The whole of the Christian life is an adventure in stewardship. Now, it can be difficult for us because we live in a broken world, and we live in a world that keeps, keeps sending messages to us that, to discourage us and tell us that the joy of the Lord is not true. It's interesting to me that in this chapter of Matthew 13, there's, there are actually more parables here than just the two we read. There's a parable about the farmer who goes out and scatters seed. He's sort of arbitrary about scattering it. He's not careful. He just starts throwing it all over the place. And what, what intrigues me is that we talked, it lands on four different kinds of soil, and only one of them produces anything. The seed dies in all three other soils, which I read that and I think, man, that's pretty discouraging. And then there's a parable about a farmer that plants his, the, uh, the seeds in his, in his field and for grain to come up, and his, but his enemy comes in the night and, and puts weeds in there. And when the grain starts to grow, so do the weeds. And his workers say, oh, this is terrible. An enemy must have done that. We better go pull the weeds. And the master of the field says, no, 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 don't pull the weeds, because if you pull the weeds, you might pull up the grain too. And it's not ready yet. We just have to leave it. And I think to myself, that's not the kind of world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where there are no weeds, literally and figuratively. But we don't live in that kind of world. We live in a world where there are problems, where the enemy has a certain amount of power, where the enemy sows weeds, where there are problems and struggles and discouragements, and, and the evil one has a certain amount of power. And we wrestle with that because I want joy to be the absence of weeds. But Jesus comes along and tells us not just these two parables, but he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. that's planted in the ground, a small, tiny seed, and plants comes out, comes a tree. And the yeast, just a little bit of yeast in the dough, that in there, it changes the complete everything about the dough, and it rises, and it, it, it works perfectly. And then the, the treasure in the field and the pearl. And these are parables that Jesus is saying, look, yes, there is the reality of the world in which we live. There are weeds, and there's, there's soil that, this doesn't, that doesn't want the, the seed. But my joy for you is still present in the middle of that. You can bank on it. 
And when the evil one discourages you, and when the evil one seems to have the upper hand, when the weeds are growing up everywhere, you keep looking at me and realize how valuable I am and the treasure I am and the treasure of the kingdom and believe and trust me. Everything isn't always what it looks like. Now, not everybody is going to is going to understand people who want to be all in for Jesus. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the guy comes home and tells his wife, "Okay, gather everything up. We're selling it all." That would have been an interesting conversation. You can keep the clothes you're wearing. Everything else is gone. We're getting rid of all of it. The neighbors come by. Fred, you having a yard sale? Are you guys moving? No, we're not moving. Why are you getting rid of everything? No, no reason. You know, they get rid of all of it. You know, I'm sure that other people looked at him and thought he was crazy. Why would you do this? And he could tell people, he could tell his wife how about this treasure he found, but it's hard to understand it unless you've experienced it. I had a friend in college, a few years ago, who uh, went to a missions convention. And over the course of the days, they were talking about the missionaries they could support. And they got to the end, they said, all right, I want to give you an opportunity to, to trust God to, to supply your needs for, for supporting these missionaries. And my friend really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to pledge $50 a month to support some missionaries. He's a college student, very little money, as you can well imagine. $50 a month. This was 30-some years ago. Okay, more than that. But anyway, um, it, was, you know, it was a lot of money. Where did it come from? No idea. But he just felt like this is what God was impressing on him. And he had such joy in being able to fill out that card and put it in and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but this is going to be awesome. I'm going to trust you for this. And he was so excited. And a day or two later, he got a, he, one of the people organizing the convention spoke to him. And said, this is great that you want to do this, but this seems like a lot. Are you sure you really want to do that? Are you sure that this, is, this doesn't seem very realistic? Maybe you want to back it down a little bit. And it was pretty discouraging at first. Because the person who's saying to people, trust God, was saying, well, maybe. And they just were concerned. But when my friend poured out his heart to this person and said, this is what God's telling me. The person in charge says, then go for it. This is awesome. And they supported him all the way. And God supplied. Not everybody understands. Sometimes even we who are saying to, saying to God, Lord, I want to be all in for you, look at other people and say, really, you're going to go that far? We all wrestle with it. We all struggle with it. When you get to the end of this, this chapter, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and he teaches in the synagogue, and the people say, wow, that's pretty good. And then they step back and say, wait a second. We know this guy. We know this guy. My kids played with him when he was little. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mother and father. Who does he think he is? And it says Jesus couldn't do many miracles there. They just couldn't see it. The calling for us is, do we want to have eyes to see? In spite of what other people may think, 
in spite of what other people may say? Do we want to live a life that is all in with Jesus? Because that is the only way to experience the fullness of joy that Jesus comes to give us. There is a direct correlation, I'm convinced, between our, our willingness to be open with God and with whatever we have and the level of joy with which we live. There's a direct correlation. And it's rooted in this mindset of having a want to. And it doesn't mean that we have to give away everything we have. It doesn't mean we have to go home and sell all of our possessions to get it. But it does mean that we live our lives with this mindset that says, God, whatever I have is really yours. Whatever you want me to do with my talent, that's what I'll do. Whatever you want me to do with my time, that's what I'll do. Whatever you want me to do with my treasure, that's what I'll do. I just want to be sensitive to your spirit leading me, guiding me. I don't want to have, I don't want to, to try to hold on to things that are really yours. I want to be all in with you. That's why I think sometimes it's hard to know what God is leading us to. Sometimes it's hard for us to see how valuable the kingdom of Jesus truly is, which is why the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace are so important to us. The time we spend in the scriptures, the time we spend in prayer, the time we spend coming to corporate worship, the things that we do to help nurture our faith and to help us gain better vision about the value and the worth, the treasure that Jesus and the kingdom is, is so important. One of my friends was telling me a few weeks ago that when his grandmother died, they went through her house and she was a collector of all kinds of things. And so they decided to have an auction. And so they, you know, they hired an auctioneer and the auctioneer got everything organized and all the different collections and people, you know, they announced it and as they do, people came and they looked over everything and then they started the bidding. One of the items for sale was a box of bottles, just bottles. You know, just plain old bottles. And there was a box, I don't know, this big or so, a bunch of bottles in there. And when it came time for that, the family, they were watching the auction take place. And they were, they were watching, and they, the guy said, okay, who will give me a dollar for this box of bottles? I'll give you a dollar. All right, the bid went up. How about $5? Ten $15? $25? $50? $100? That box of bottles sold for $300. And the family's standing there going, are these people out of their minds? They're just bottles. And then they watched as the man who won the auction walked over, kind of sifted through the bottles, pulled one out, wrapped it in tissue paper, and walked away. And they just looked at each other and went, hmm, that guy knows something about bottles that we don't know. That doesn't happen by accident. You learn that. You learn, that's why the disciplines are so important to us. We learn the value of who Jesus is more and more every day. And what I find fascinating in this story is that how do we know they believe the treasure is as valuable as it is? Because they do something about it. We can talk till we're blue in the face of how valuable something is, but if we never do anything about it, you have to question. 
And we can, we can talk all the time about how much we love Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is, but if it doesn't, it doesn't turn into some kind of action about Jesus, do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? And that brings us back to what we possess, what we have. You know, often in the church, we don't like to talk a lot about money. Partly it's because there are people who abuse that. And churches have abused it, and the church has abused it through the centuries. We know that. But I think we also are a little hesitant about it because we'd really like to think that it's just not that important. That, you know, we talk about that as, in some language, filthy lucre. You know, it's just, it's bad stuff. It's, it's, it's stuff we try to avoid and get away from. But the reality is, it is as much a gift of God as anything else. And here's the thing that I'm coming to understand. Maybe one of the reasons we don't like to talk about it is because then we don't really have to feel accountable about what we do with it. But Jesus seems to be telling us in all of these parables that money is far more important than we often want to admit. And if money is that important, then what we do with it is that important. It's about the kingdom. And there is something about what we do with what we have that reveals what we think and feel and believe about Jesus and the kingdom. Will Willimon says that every Sunday's offering is a dress rehearsal for our final offering. When we hand over to God everything we thought was ours. So what does our dress rehearsal look like? I love what C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity. He says, the Christian way is hard. Christ says, give me your all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here, a branch there. I want to have the whole tree cut down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the things you think wicked, the whole outfit. And I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself. My own will shall become yours. This is the whole of Christianity. You know, as I was reading a quote this week, it said something like this. We often think that the call to obedience to God is a way of God testing how committed we are to Him. But what if the call to obedience is actually God's way of moving us to the place so we can experience the joy of who He is in the deepest of ways? 
And if we have any question about the value of who Jesus is, look at this table. We come to this table to the one who comes in human flesh and gives us life. This is the one who calls us to be all in with him. This is who he is. And we can trust him. Because he is good. I love in the hymn we sang just before the sermon, Jesus is fairer. Jesus is more beautiful than anything else. And that is the gospel. As we turn our attention toward this table, I want to invite you to share with me the prayer of confession. It's printed in your bulletin. It will also, I think, come up on the screen. Let us pray together. God of mercy, we begin this new year with a passion to know you. Forgive us that in the past year, the noise of our world too often made us deaf to your words of love. Forgive us when in the past year, we allowed the busyness of our lives to minimize our thoughts of your life-giving grace. Forgive us that in the past year, the attraction of what we might possess too often turned our attention away from the gift of joy you offer us. Today, help us hear your words of pardon, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will fill us with an ever-growing joy in surrendering all that we are to you. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to the greatness of who Jesus is and fill us with joy that comes from surrendering to you. We pray, Father, your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. May it be food for our souls. And may it be life each and every day. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.